You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's wind rows they have the men's wind rows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 53, where we talk with David Ware on his 377-inch New Mexico public land bull. Hello, and thanks again for tuning into the Transition Wild Podcast, the number one source for Western big game hunting. I just want to give a quick shout out to one of my partners, one of my sponsors, Skullbrew Coffee. <laughs> it's late at night. I'm recording this podcast. Uh, I had a, had a newborn baby a couple months ago, which has been awesome, but I am freaking drained. I feel like I'm a zombie all the time, and uh, I, I, I literally, I don't understand it, but I just do not have... I feel like I don't have the time that that I used to, and and granted, you know, you're spending a lot of time, you know, with the baby, and 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 that's really my priority right now. But man, uh, I am tired. I will, I will, I will uh, gladly admit that. So I just want to give a quick shout out to Skullbrew Coffee. Check them out, SkullbrewCoffee.com. A proceed uh, proceeds of uh, each bag sold go to conservation. That's pretty cool. It tastes great. It's good shit. You should pick up a bag for yourself, and it, it's going to give you some energy. The The caffeine is is definitely there. So highly recommend Skullberg Coffee. Thanks again, Clint, for providing me with that and um, keeping me alive over these past few months. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a, kind of a weird fall, as I alluded to. Not weird, but, you know, um, didn't get to do my normal archery elk hunting, but I am going to pick up a third season rifle tag here in Colorado. 
going to see if I can get it done with the uh, the old 7 mag and see if I can put something down here, you know, just coming up in, a, in about a week or so, a uh, week and a half before that season kicks off here in Colorado. I'm hoping for a little snow. And honestly, I think it would be kind of cool if I, you know, I, I've always kind of wanted to, to track an elk. And I think that'd be cool if I can cut a fresh track or whatever and, and, and just follow it and, and see where it ends up. And I think that's also going to be kind of cool because then I can kind of see how they travel a little bit more, where they go, maybe in certain areas during pressure. So I'm just, although I love archery hunting and, and I'll do that for the rest of my life, I'm just really looking forward to kind of for a, a change of pace and, a, and, and mixing it up a little bit. So stay tuned. We'll see how the hunt goes. And, uh, you know, hopefully I put something down on the ground. We'll, we'll see. So, uh, speaking of elk hunting, this is, this podcast is badass. I had David, uh, Ware on the show for this episode. And for you guys who, um, have been listening to the podcast for a while, I had David on the show, uh, a year and a half year or so back and and really I, I met him on a forum on online and he just seemed like a really cool dude down to earth and I, I really liked his story kind of got into hunting later in life and he kind of really just immersed himself in and in, in elk hunting and you know really just soaked it up like a sponge and and just kind of talking about his whole process so I I just that was a really cool episode and, and, and getting to know him. And then I brought him back on for this episode to really, uh, he flat out, he killed a giant bull, um, just, just a couple of weeks ago in, in late September in New Mexico and, uh, public land DIY, not hunting with an outfitter, drew the tag and, and he had hunted the area before and we'll get into the details, but I mean, uh, a 300, uh, you know, almost a 380 inch bull anywhere is, is an absolute giant. So I knew I had to get David back on. He's got a cool personality, just a fun dude. He, uh, he knows his stuff and just a great story. So I really hope you guys enjoy this one. I know I certainly did. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get David on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, on the line with us now, we have David Ware. How's it going today, man? Oh, it's going great. Uh, glad to be back with you. <laughs> I know, yeah, re- repeat guest here. So I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to having you back on and talking some elk hunting. Every, I'll, I'll just note that when I had you on the first time, gosh, what, what was that? Was that about a year ago, David? I can't even remember. Sometime around that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think it was a year and a half, maybe, something like that. Yeah, maybe like a year and a half ago, I had you on for a show, and I tell you what, people really loved your story, and just like talking about the backcountry hunting, and getting into elk hunting, and just just your personality, and your your kind of stories, and people, I got a really, a lot of good feedback from that, so I'm happy to have you back on. (laughs) 
Well, I appreciate that, and I'm extremely humbled. Uh, a lot of great people out there um, that I've gotten some great advice from over the years, so I appreciate that. Well, that's the cool thing about the hunting, you know, the not the industry or whatever, just hunting in general. It just seems like, you know, I was I was out last weekend hunting with my, my fiancé, and, you know, we ran into a really cool guy, and we talked for, I don't know, probably 10, 15 minutes, and just a lot of good people you meet along the way, whether you're out hunting or just talking to people or, you know, just like me and you kind of meeting on a, on a forum and, and, you know, staying in touch. And it's just, it's just really cool. And, and, and I don't find that as often in other things that I do in my life. It's just something about hunting is there's just that bond and that kind of, uh, you know, relatability, I guess, that brings people together. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny you talked about when when you had me on last. Um, I ran into a guy down there in the Gila, and he was fixing to pack in with an outfitter, and he had driven down from Oregon, and it, it was too funny. We started talking, and he says, "I was just listening to the podcast, and you were on it." <laughs> so he was actually listening to your podcast on his way down there from from Oregon which I thought was too cool. <laughs> That's hilarious. I remember, I remember you telling yeah. me about that. That's a, such a small world. And, and for him to run into you like that, it was, it was, that's pretty funny. Oh, <laughs> oh, it was, it was hilarious. I loved it. It was great. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of had a similar thing. I, I, I was hunting in Iowa a couple of years ago and we had met these other guys from Michigan that were kind of hunting the same area. And I'd hit a buck and, 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 uh, you know, anyways, long story short, this guy was from other guy from Michigan was helping me track it because he had already killed a buck and and um, he was talking. To, he he saw my hat that said Transition Wild on it, and he had he knew what the podcast was, but he uh, he just thought I was a fan or something or whatever, and he didn't realize I was the one that actually did the podcast. So he was <laughs> he finally put two and two <laughs> together and was like, "Oh man, you're you're Adam. That's cool." So that it's pretty funny. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I I want to talk about your your elk hunt from you know what was it three month three weeks ago, a couple weeks back. Um, you had texted me, killed this giant bull in New Mexico, and I want to hear all the stories on that and get into the nitty gritty. But before we jump into that, like. What what else have you been up to right now? Are you are you doing any hunts going on? Uh, got anything in the works coming up here in the near future? Or are you just kind of riding on cloud nine after that that big bull you killed? Oh uh, well, so after my hunt and got back, and um, a buddy of mine had a muzzleloader elk hunt in central New Mexico, so I went down for the weekend and tagged along with those guys and. And that was just uh, two weekends ago when I was down there. And believe it or not, those elk were just screaming. It was really? ridiculous. I saw more. Yeah. You know, I, I saw more elk in a day and a half than I saw on my entire hunt, um, which was pretty phenomenal for an October muzzleloader hunt. But the, the bulls were screaming. We called in several, well, I'd say probably half a dozen bulls in the bow range for my buddy, but it was so thick in some of these areas, he just didn't have a shot with his muzzle loader. So wow. it's pretty cool stuff. And then I tagged along with same guy, had a muzzle loader deer hunt last weekend. I tagged along for a couple of days and 
did and got an opportunity to do a little bit of scouting for my upcoming hunt, which is in the same area he was hunting with his muzzleloader. So that was pretty cool. So is that a is that a I deer hunt? A, yeah, I've got a deer hunt coming up in January, a rut and mule deer hunt. So that is always a fun hunt, open country mule deer. It's an exciting hunt. You can spot these big suckers from a long way, and it's exciting. The hard part is getting close enough for a bow shot with all those does. I mean, anywhere from 5 to 15, 20 does, all the eyes, ears, and noses, and not all those does are in heat at the same time. The the ones that are not in heat are doing what they do the rest of the year, and that's looking out for predators like us. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. What? What, did you say that was in New Mexico or is that Arizona? No, it's New Mexico. Uh, it's a January hunt. So, southeast New Mexico is where I'll be hunting. Nice. Uh, it's funny you met, funny you mentioned Arizona because that's been my backup plan because as most of the, or a lot of mule deer hunters know, uh, Arizona does have an over-the-counter tag December and January, I believe, but I've never yep. had to use that option so okay. but i do look forward to hunt arizona one day yeah yeah i've had some people on the podcast talk about that hunt so that's really cool a lot of fun and it seems i'd imagine in in new mexico it's probably pretty similar uh you know type of it sounds like same timing the rut you know kind of peaks down in december january time period and just something uh different you know a little bit of change of pace than maybe what you get in colorado or or, or maybe a uh, plains mule deer hunt where it's a little bit more kind of grassy and stuff this i don't know what it's like down there but it's got to be a little different from here in the in the big mountains yeah it's uh more i call it high plains myself there's okay. a lot of cactus and mesquite you know people i've heard people reference it as the flats you know, because they're seeing that stuff from the highway but there's nothing flat about it you know it's, <laughs> i call it high plains it's funny you mentioned that too because I, I actually had a a deer tag for Colorado and an elk tag. So, I hunted the first two weekends of September, up there in Colorado. And you're right, the terrain is totally different. For sure, for sure. Um, well, it sounds like you've had a a jam packed fall between tagging along with other people's hunts and and doing a few of your own and and multiple states. You're a you're a hunting fool, David. Well, uh, just like the rest of you and everybody out there listening to this, you know, I mean, that's, that's what we do and that's what we love. So, um, and I'll continue to do it as long as my age and health will hold out, you know, so. <laughs> Ain't that right? Yep. I'll be hunting, uh, till I yep. die. That's for sure. <laughs> or at least I hope. Yes. Yes, sir. <laughs> I hear you. Now I can't just, just a quick reminder before we jump into the details here, but, uh, I can't remember when we had you on the podcast before. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you get into hunting maybe a little bit later in life, or were you kind of hunting when you were younger? I can't remember exactly. Yeah, you have a great memory. (laughs) Um, I started hunting when I was 32 years old. Um, I grew up in Ohio. Nobody in my family ever hunted. You know, there's a lot of people that fished in my family, but you know, walking to the lakes and stuff when we were kids. I always had a knack for walking up on deer, white-tailed deer in the woods. And, you know, I was always kind of interested in it, but never got the opportunity. 
And when I moved out to New Mexico, met my ex-wife's family, they all hunted, and um, I started hunting with a rifle at 32 years old. I think it was 1997, I believe, something like that, 95 or 97, and hunted with a rifle for mule deer for 12 years, and it just got too easy with that rifle. If I could see him, I could kill him. Seven mags, deadly rifle, man. I'll tell you what. And and not to mention it was getting dangerous out there. Uh, The last deer I killed with my rifle in 2007, first thing in the morning, me and a buddy are field dressing it. And this is before I knew anything about a gutless method. So I was elbow deep up in there, you know, pulling guts out and things like that. And all of a sudden, World War III broke out on the other side of the ridge that we were on, and bullets were ricocheting off the ridge 10 feet above us. And I just Oof. looked at my buddy at that point, and yeah, it was, it was scary. I said, man, I'm a bow hunter next year. This is getting too dangerous out here. And, you know, I put in for a bow, elk, and deer tag, and as luck would have it, I drew both and had to go out and buy a bow and <laughs> learn what I could as fast as I could. So That's great. That's really cool. And, and, you know, yeah, I wish I'd have started hunting a long time ago, right off the get-go with a bow. You know, I mean, I didn't know what I was missing until I started hunting with a bow. It's great. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's a different different world. And and, uh, I just had the the newborn baby just a couple months ago, so I feel like I'm kind of transitioning more to (laughs) a little bit more rifle in recent years when my time is kind of a little bit bit strapped but um you know i didn't get i didn't really get the opportunity to hunt archery this year but uh you know you best believe it, every year going forward i'll I'll be out there with a bow for sure <laughs> yeah don't get me wrong i'm not saying i wouldn't hunt with the rifle again i did hunt with the rifle one year i didn't draw a tag and i bought a, uh, a landowner cow rifle tag and you know, that seven bag was still just as deadly on an elk as it was all those deer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, cool, David. Well, I want to I wanna jump. I'm, I'm excited. We've, we've, we've talked and we texted, you know, a little bit over the past week or so, but I didn't want to get into any nitty-gritty details because I knew I wanted to have you on the show to, to really – you know, tell the story and I want to hear every, every part of it. Um, so let's just jump into that. And I, I want to just start off with like, what, what was the process of maybe planning this hunt? Was this a tag that, you know, you, you'd been trying to put in for, for a while, um, talk us through kind of the initial, maybe application process and maybe the initial planning of, of trying to draw that tag. Okay. Well do so. Um, Anybody that knows anything about New Mexico, and most hunters do out there, uh, elk tags in a lot of states are going to draw draw our point systems, and New Mexico, we have a draw system. And I decided back in 2012, I was going to apply for only Healy units. And if I didn't draw them, I'll go hunt Colorado, because most of the other units in New Mexico have uh colorado caliber elk and i'm not saying colorado has lesser elk uh, but as most people know there's a lot of pressure otc units and you just don't see many big elk um but 
as luck would have it, I drew the Gila four times in eight tries. And three out of the last five years I've drawn it. I've been very lucky. Um, and so when I found out I drew the tag in April, I started planning for it. Uh, scouting trips, studying maps, uh, the typical stuff that most of us do. So were, were you looking at, once you, once you drew that tag, uh, were you kind of initially mi- mind running yeah. back? Oh, sorry. Were you saying something, David? No, you, uh, you're breaking up there, Adam. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, it might be on my side, but, um, I just, I just asking you did, so once, once you knew you drew that tag and you started looking at different, maybe areas to hunt, uh, were you going back to maybe some spots that you already had hunted before or were you potentially checking out new areas what did that exactly look like well so i also found out that two of my buddies drew the tag as well so in the past i've drawn the second hunt and they've drawn the first hunt it's broke up into two hunts in new mexico archery hunts during archery season anyway and so um we decided to out a couple different areas, go set some trail cameras up, um, but cameras in the same areas that we had both previously hunted. Only this time, it was uh, we had a little bit of a conundrum here because we both found this same ridge that we like to camp on in the backcountry. It's probably three, three and a half miles uh, in from the truck. And so we all talked and agreed that um, my buddy JP would hunt, he would uh, camp on the ridge that we both like. Another buddy, Alan, would camp on another ridge, and I was just going to do truck camp this year. And I remember you had talked to me a while back about uh, you doing truck camp and not hiking in. So how, yep. how does that, how'd that work for you? You know, I've I've uh, I've really started to like it, and I think there's a lot of advantages to it, especially in OTC units. You know, like I actually am writing an article on this, but you know, it, 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 it can, and I I love it. Yeah, yeah, it can give you a lot of different advantages. Like you can hunt this piece one day, you can drive, you know, 20 miles and hit a different drainage the next day. Uh, you know, it allows you to be mobile if you're not getting into elk. I mean, you can only walk a, a certain amount of miles in a day, but if, if you hunt a certain area and don't get in anything, you can drive and, and go off and check out another piece. So it allows you to be a little bit more mobile and get into where the elk are that day. And that could be 10 miles over there or a few miles down the road. You never know. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, before I got into to backcountry hunting, uh, packing in and setting cap up, that's all I used to do is truck camp. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I always did enjoy that part of it. The fact that you can be mobile. And if you're not into elk in one spot, shoot, it's not far back to the truck. You can be 15, 20, 30 miles away and, and no time and, and be hunting again. So yeah. that's one of the advantages for sure. Yeah, exactly. So, so you're, you, you drew the tag, you kind of were checking out the area you went down with some buddies. You're setting up trail cameras. Um, were you able to check those cameras and, and get a feel to maybe what caliber bulls that were hitting the area? Were you able to get down there multiple times? Tell us about that. 
set our trail cameras up in early June. Um, went back end of June, about three, three and a half weeks later, and and checked a few cameras, hiked into a spot that we hadn't hunted before, neither one of us, and looked around that area. Um, saw a lot of bears, but didn't see any elk. There's a bunch of bears in the Gila, let me tell you. I I'll, bet. I'll talk a little bit about that in a while, but um, so um, we decided that you know there's a trailhead right there. We, there's probably going to be a lot of hunters in that area, so um, we didn't see a lot of elk sign in that area. But you know, I mean, those elk move around once the rut starts, so. But we still decided to go back to hunting the area that we knew best. Uh, knowing your area is, is a huge advantage. And so it's like when you know an area like the back of your hand, you know, it's a huge advantage to you and you increase your odds, in my opinion. For sure. For sure. So you basically went to this area that you, you'd known in the past from hunting there in years past, scouting it picking up pictures, doing all that. And that kind of, kind of gave you a good starting point because you're obviously familiar with the area and, and, um, you know, put your best put, foot forward. And, and it sounds like that tag is, is not the easiest tag to draw or it's not a guaranteed tag. So you want to make it count for sure. Yeah, most definitely. Um, for a non-resident, it's a very tough tag to draw. Um, it, our, our draw system in New Mexico is not very non-resident friendly. I can honestly say that. Um, but I've, I've been lucky and drawn it, like I say, four times in eight years. So, um, And I, I hope I draw it again next year because the potential for the biggest bull of your life is definitely there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you definitely proved that, which we'll, we'll get into the details for sure. But, um, okay. So you, you scouted this area, checked it out. You obviously had a very good idea what you were getting into. When, when did you first start hunting it? When does New Mexico season open? And did you, you know, start out hunting right opening day and, and trying to get after it? Or were you kind of hedging your bet more towards the rut? Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So you know, we checked our trail cameras and a uh, few times in the summer and leading up to September, the first archery hunt goes from the 1st of September to the 15th. Um, and the second archery hunt, which is the tag that we all drew, the 15th through the 24th. So um, I'd say those are some pretty good dates uh, to be hunting anywhere oh, yeah. you're hunting elk. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I didn't realize yeah. that's a short, that's a pretty, in the scheme of things, that's kind of a short window, you know, I mean, only nine days for a, a, a archery tag. That's, you know, whereas Colorado, I mean, you got the whole month and that's a pretty limited time period for sure. Oh yeah, most definitely. And, you know, I did, like I was saying earlier, I've had a Colorado tag, so I was able to hunt the first couple weekends and, and unfortunately I didn't tag out, but you know, I, I love Colorado. Every time I'm in Colorado, I feel like I'm at home. So, <laughs> mountains draw you in for sure, for sure. Oh, oh yeah. So, what's the what's the type um, of but, terrain that the this Gila National Wilderness is it at, comparatively to Colorado? Is it bigger? You know, similar mountains? Is it more rolling? Like, what's the type of topography you're dealing with? Well, Colorado typically, you know, there's 
you can see 14ers all over the place, you know, high elevation hunting. Um, you better be in some kind of shape when you hunt Colorado, that's for sure. I mean, <laughs> is it necessary? You know, no, but the better shape you're in, the more enjoyable your hunt is going to be up there for sure. Um, down here in the Gila wilderness over there, Gila National Forest, you know, the highest elevation I think I was hunting, maybe 8,000 feet. Okay. Um, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of pinyon pines, alligator junipers, and, and oak, a couple different species of oak trees, oak brush. Um, so, and, and ponderosa pines, there's, there's some of that as well. You don't see any spruce trees like you do up there in Colorado or, or Quakies. Um, so it, it's, it's definitely different. Now, the, like the ridges or hills, yeah, they're hills compared to Colorado, but um, they, they are mountains. And, and there are a lot of small, small ridges and canyons. So you're either going up or you're going down. And when you do get on a ridge, they're not very long ridges. So there's a lot of up and down. It's very rocky, um, can be very hot and dry at times. Um, so it, it's definitely a lot different. You have to plan for dry dry weather, particularly hunting the back country. You know, I carry a water filter with me at all times. Uh, not that there's much water available out there, but you, you definitely stock up on water when you can. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it, it sounds like I, I've always been intrigued with, you know, potentially hunting Arizona or New Mexico at some point. And I just think it is, it, I feel like it suits the bow hunter really well because of because it's like this ro- more rolling terrain so you can cover a lot more ground but then you've got these you know juniper or more shrubby type you know uh evergreen trees that that kind of suit more for maybe having more shooting lanes like you get out in this dark timber stuff here in Colorado and uh, a long shot might be 20 yards you know uh depending on where you're at so oh, I, yeah. I just I just feel like that type of terrain really suits the bow hunter well. Uh, maybe you can elaborate oh, yeah. and test to that. But. Yeah, I think you'd love it. You know, I've I've hunted Colorado quite a bit since I started bow hunting since since 2008. Uh, as you know, all the deadfall can be horrendous up there. Um, yeah. But you just don't see that kind of stuff over here, or at least down in the Gila anyway. And you do have a lot of shooting lanes, although, you know, it can be pretty thick in places as well, but, um, you know, typically you can find some, some openings, you know, it's, it's nowhere near as bad as Colorado as far as trying to find openings. And, and even when I was with my buddy muzzleloader hunting the area he was at, it was thick, dark timber, spruce trees, and he didn't have any hunt, uh, shooting lanes, but the Gila, yeah, you can you can find shooting lanes for sure, no doubt about it. Um, and for some reason, the elk love that stuff. You know, I mean, the first time I hunted it after hunting Colorado for those first few years, seeing the spruce trees, and that's before all that beetle beetle kill was taken over. But um, seeing that lush green uh, spruce trees and and quakies. And then going down and hunting the Gila for the first time, you're looking around. It's like, man, this does not look like elk country. <laughs> but boy, was, yeah, boy, was I wrong. Oh yeah, I bet, I bet. Now, what? Um, 
so I imagine some of that terrain it like what what do you what are you concentrating on or what are you looking for when you're going into this haunt? Are you just going back to areas that you know, but what, what about those areas that, you know, make it good hunting? Is there food? Are you, have you hunted over water holes? Um, what's that kind of entail? Well, I've never really hunted over water holes. Uh, the areas that I hunt, there aren't many to begin with. Um, there are some, but you're going to have to walk five or six miles to get to them. And being a solo hunter, you know, that's kind of getting out in that, that range where if I would kill something that far back in there, could I get it all out? Yeah. You know? So, um, what I, what I've been trying to do, what I like to do is I like to hunt ridges I love narrow ridges because I can call off onto both sides. Mm, Um, so that I look for narrow ridges where I I can call off onto both sides, a lot of cover, obviously, and there's food all over the place. Uh, this year, these yellow mini sunflower looking things, um, the plants were maybe 30 inches tall. They were everywhere. And, you know, I witnessed some, a cow and a fawn just gorging on that, or a cow and a, a calf gorging on that stuff. So really? I knew the elk were eating that stuff. Yeah. Nice. Did so, you guys get a lot of rain cool like Colorado that. did this past uh, summer? Did you guys get a lot of rain as well in New Mexico? Well, there weren't many torrential downpours, but there were steady drizzles, I would say, because it was very green down there enough to make everything grow real well lots of grasses um lots of vegetation but not enough rain that it filled many water holes uh that you would think would hold water and did hold water last year but uh the food was great and elfin travel dis- good distances for water yeah you know so and there, there's there's plenty of water available for the elk and it's nothing for those guys to travel five miles for water, you know, and travel five miles back for feed and, and bedding areas, you know. So it, it was good for antler growth this year, extremely good. Yeah, yeah. I saw the same thing here in Colorado. Now, now, so this tags mid-September. You're, you head out, and what's your what's your camping situation look like? I know you said you're truck camping, but – was that a tent on the ground? You'd pack up and move if you needed. Did you have a little camper? Tell us about that. Yeah, so I'm driving down there. I got to tell you this first. Um, so I'm on my, driving on my way down there, and I put, before I lost cell phone service, I pulled up one of your podcasts, podcast number forty nine, <laughs> and it was great. Um, for Thanks, those, David. For those of you out there who haven't heard that, you got to listen to that. <laughs> um, this guy, I think he's from Montana. Is that right? Ben yeah, yeah. From Montana. Yep, Ben Gatormson. He's oh. a he's a great dude. Killer. He's a killer for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a great podcast. And and listening to some of the things you and him were talking about, it's like, man, that just sounds so familiar. This is an average Joe type of hunter um, who hunts the way he wants to hunt and does the things he wants to do and things, some things that not a lot of people are talking about, you know, and there's a few things I do that nobody ever talks about on the forums or on the, 
the videos and things like that. But, you know, when, when you're doing things that nobody else are doing, you know, I mean, it's great. I love it. And I've been, (laughs) I've been into elk every, every year doing some of these things. So yeah. That's awesome. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. Big kudos to you and and big Ben for that podcast. (laughs) And anybody who hasn't heard it, you guys need to hear that. It's great. (laughs) Appreciate it. So, you know, I, I listened to that while I could, and, and I listened to pretty much all of it, I think, before I lost uh, cell phone service or internet coverage on my phone. I was able to link that to my Bluetooth and listen to it. So, But anyway, uh, my hunting situation this year, like I say, my buddy uh, hunted on the ridge that I typically pack into, so he camped back there, and I just did a truck camp. I, I did a did my tent, and... I've got a Noah's tarp that I put over my tent, so if it rains, I can still sit out in front of my tent and not have to sit inside my tent. And it's a pretty good setup, actually. It's a 12 by 12 Noah's tarp. I think I sent you a picture of it. Yeah. Um, so that's my setup there, and I was able to hike into the wilderness area uh, daily and, and hunt from truck camp. And let me tell you, the advantage of truck camp I can eat real food. I'm not stuck eating those darn mountain house meals for days on end, you know, and you can get clean. Uh, you can take showers or sponge baths or whatever your preference is, but you can stay cleaned up. You can change clothes daily, change socks daily. Truck camp does have its advantages for sure. You don't have to go in with a 70 pound pack on your back either. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, you can you can set your pack up for for uh, day hunt mode, and you're nice and compact, and you know you got all your drinking water right there at camp. You know, so you can fill your bladder up. There's a few extra bottles in in your pack, and you're good to go. Yeah, a lot of advantages for sure. That's cool. So you're doing oh, yeah. the truck camp thing, and you were you were you kind of hitting same spots every day, or were, did you ever move camp at all? No, I didn't have to move camp. Um, what I did was um, I'd hike into this canyon uh, not too far from truck camp. And, you know, I'd, like I said, top of the canyon, I'd throw a couple calls off into the canyon. And if I got some responses, I'd try to move toward the bugles. Um, but, they, you know, the first part of that hunt, lazy bugles, and it was hard to tell where they come from. So in that situation... You know, I'll wait 5, 10, 15 minutes, maybe do another call. And uh, if nothing answers, you know, a lot of times nothing does answer. So it's like, okay, well, what do I do now? So start the running and gunning process and moving and a little bit of call. You know, you call from different locations, and I like to choose those locations wisely. I like to call where my sound travels and carries for a long way. Um, and you know, they just weren't talking a whole lot. So I'd find myself three or four miles from my camp and I'd get above, I'd try to get above these elk that I knew were bedded and, and try to coax them to me because I didn't want to get in there and jump them out and not be able to hunt them again. So, you know, there, there's a couple areas where I'd hike into daily and, and they'd be there the next day, but all I'd get that lazy bugle from their beds, and 
Anybody who's hunted elk long enough know that that's typically a bull that's bedded and probably got cows with him. And, you know, the cows probably aren't that hot at the moment, but, you know, he's just biding his time, you know. That's Probably why not he's not him. very excited. Yeah, and he's not going to leave uh, a bunch of cows for one cow, you know. <laughs> yeah, so when and you say, when you he, say you're calling, he, you say you're calling, you're, you're throwing out cow calls or, or bugles? Um, in that situation, I like the cow call. Um, bugles, I've, I've done some bugles as well, but they don't seem to want to respond to that when they're in their beds and you're that close to them. Yeah. You know, I've been within a couple hundred yards, you know, but like I say, I don't want to spook them out and have to try to hunt them another four or five miles away or possibly never see or hear them again, you know? So, um, it's always a challenge to stay patient, you know, in my early early years of hunting, I'd get impatient and try to move in on them. And, you know, I've busted my fair share of elk out of their beds and <laughs> never seen them again. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all have so, for sure. But, you know, I'm there to kill something. My, uh, also my philosophy is if I bust this group of elk out, I'll go find more, you know? Um, but you know, the older I get, the less hard I want to have to work for it. <laughs> But work smarter, not harder, right? I mean, not that I won't work hard, because I do, but um, if I can hunt those same elk without having to try to find other elk, uh, I'm all for that myself, personally. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm 30, and I'm already at the point of, hey, I I, I don't want to, I'm not the hike to the muscle up to the top of the mountain guy anymore. I'm I'm trying to think about where the elk are going to be, and, you know, if they're if they're five minutes off the road why not you know <laughs> oh absolutely you know when i hunt colorado I, I know some places that are just so obvious people drive right on by them and i'm hunt, i'm into elk two or three hundred yards off of a forest road you know yeah and having fun <laughs> that's what it's all about it's so, all about yeah so you're, so, you're, um, so you're the first couple of days you're kind of hunting ridges doing some calling see what's kind of maybe in the area and um it sounds like maybe when you first got there maybe the rut wasn't quite you know full blown yet right and you know peak rut typically happens around that harvest moon uh you know a week before a week after at least that's what i've read which is typically around that third week of September, I believe, uh, when that harvest moon happens or the, the solstice, I guess they call it. Yep. Um, that all, that pretty much all coincides with peak rut or, you know, a week in front or a week behind that from what I've read. So, you know, it's a good time to be out there for sure. Uh, during this time I've got an in reach. My buddy JP's got an in reach. So we're kind of keeping in contact. Um, there were more hunters than usual back in that area, uh, the ridge that he was camped on, which kind of disappointed him. And I was seeing several hunters over there near my truck camp, which I've never seen before, you know, people that were walking into the wilderness area. So it was a little bit disappointing. So, um, we decided, to we got together on the end reach, texting back and forth and decided we were going to hike into another area for a couple of days that we had scouted previously in the summer and did that for a couple of days. And 
Um, so we met up and got in the trucks or got in his truck. I uh, packed my sleeping gear. He's got a sawtooth tent. So um, he took the tent and I took the poles and we packed our gear in and um, we got into this one canyon and we I sent you some trail camera pictures uh, where we were seeing elk uh, from those trail cam pictures. So we knew there were elk in the area. And we got back in there and we got up into the area where we'd set our trail cams. And our trail cameras were still up there. So it was a good opportunity for us to pull those cameras and see if anything else had been showing up. And so we get up to the first camera area so first off, we get down there, set the sawtooth up, unload our sleeping gear, and got an evening hunt in. And we get up there near the first camera, and JP says, well, let's not walk up this trail. Let's walk around, uh, because that trail, obviously, we'd been seeing elk on it on our camera. So that's what we did, and we're making our way up toward that camera. And I told JP, I said, I'm going to make two loud cow calls, and then, and then I'll shut up when we get up here which is what I did. And as soon as I did that, a bull fires off a, a bugle and I didn't I did not cow call or make another sound. And JP says, you go set up over there and I'll set up over here and we'll see what happens. And sure enough, uh, that elk, there's an elk on that trail cam. I sent you a picture of him and he's coming. We didn't know it was him at the time, but it's always pretty neat when you have a history with an elk and now all of a sudden, possibly you're going to have an encounter with him, you know, yeah. and possibly kill him. So, um, we're both set up in different spots to where if he comes one at one way, I'm going to get a shot. If he goes the other way, JP's going to get a shot. And so I'm watching this bull bugle and coming and, I've got everything ranged with my range finder and now he's coming and I know I'm going to kill this bull. And he comes down into the bottom of a draw bugles. I draw my bow back and I know when he comes up to this Aspen tree, that that Aspen tree is 35 yards and there's a good possibility. I'm going to have a broadside shot. He's a nice five by six. He's not a monster by any means, but I would have killed him in a heartbeat because I just, I love elk meat, you know, and <laughs> so, and as, you know, in true typical fashion, this elk stops and I'm at full draw and I'm holding as long as I can. And this D350 I have, it, it holds itself pretty well, um, actually, but, um, still it's not easy. anything past five minutes. Yeah, five minutes, it starts getting tough. And he walks up, and he stops with his vitals right behind this big aspen tree, and he starts looking in my direction, and I can't hold my bow back anymore, and I had to let off, and he saw the movement. And so he walks over this little knoll, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, JP's going to kill this elk. And so I tried cow calling, and I do a couple other sounds, uh, not a full blown bark or nervous grunt as some people call it, but I've heard elk use this sound between themselves. So I made the same sound and I do it pretty well through my tube and got his attention and it kind of calmed him down a little bit. And I just know JP's going to get a shot at this bull and 
he walks up the hill and out of range for both of us at this point, and he keeps looking. And after a while, they they don't see what they hear. They they just they leave. You know, yeah. and that's that's exactly what this bull did. And so neither one of us got a shot at this bull. And but we get we had an opportunity to check our trail cameras and. You know, the last elk that showed up, I think, on trail cam, other than this bull we just both missed an opportunity on, um, was September 6th, I believe. Um, So I don't know where the elk went. Uh, We did see on the trail cameras several bears, mountain lion. um, So I don't know if there was some predation going on in there. We did see some big bear turds. Uh, I mean, it wasn't the typical... Um, grasses and berries and, and nuts and things that they'd been eating. It was obvious this bear was had been eating meat. And um, I sent you a picture of that bear. That bear charged me back in August when I went back there in there by myself and had a pretty frightening experience. But I remember um, you saying it was that. a very big bear. Yeah, he's big bear. Um, I was going back to check that trail camera up there and. And the canyon, canyon walls, there's, you know, the, it's a dry creek bed. Unless you get a lot of rain, then there's water in it. And there's, there's a little spring there where animals can get water. And so I'm crossing back and forth, following the game trail, and heard a noise in the willows right there. There's only one spot there that's got willows in this creek bottom. And it's near this spring, and I heard some noise, and it got my attention. So I stopped. I'm looking, listening. Didn't see or hear anything, but just the same, I stayed on the steep side and went down a little far further before crossing over. So I'm making my way through there, and I heard another noise back there behind me, and I turned and looked. Didn't see anything, but now my hand's on my 45, just in case. And so... Uh, after not seeing or hearing anything, I've kept on my way thinking, well, it was probably just a rock falling off the canyon, you know. And So I get up there now. I'm looking at my GPS, not even thinking about the noises I heard and, and looking and seeing that I've got to go up right here to check my trail cam. And all of a sudden, I heard the rocks crashing across the dry creek bed, and I turned just in time to yell, an expletive, oh, bleep, bleep. <laughs> and I, I yelled it pretty loud. And, and by the time I got that out, he had made it 30 to 40 yards. And, and I think I startled him when I yelled like that. And he ran up a tree right in front of me. And let me tell you, it was not a fun experience. You know, the bark <laughs> oh, on the ponderosa tree, it's about three quarters of an inch thick. And that thing's flying off that tree every bite he's taking with his claws climbing up, you know, and and he's looking at me like, you're not supposed to be here. And now he's coming down. And by this time I had my 45 out. He had me if he wanted me, believe me. And I'm pointing my 45 at him, yelling at the bear, you know, as he's coming down that tree. And when he came down off the tree, he's on his hind legs looking at me and I'm looking kind of up at him a little bit. And I'm, I'm still yelling at him, and I'm, don't do it, Bill. I'll shoot you if I have to. Don't do it. And believe me, he's not scared of my little 45, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but when he, when he came down on all fours, he came down with his head in the opposite direction and started walking off. And, you know, I started feeling a little better at that point. And, 
and he he'd stop and turn and look at me like you're still here um why aren't you gone yet and i'm still yelling at him you know and and he makes his way to the other side and up the hill and kind of out of sight and it was just one of those close encounters that uh, i wish i wouldn't have had <laughs> believe me but you know because i've seen a lot of bears in the gila all the times i've been down in there and never felt threatened but that one displayed some predatory um tendencies in my opinion and judging by the turds i was seeing it looked like he was eating meat not just grass you know so wow yeah that's, and, 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 that's I, wild. And, it, and it's a barrel yeah it's a barrel on that picture i sent you big black bear if you get a close if you blow that up and get a good look at him he's got some big meaty arms and He's just a big black bear. I've never seen one that big before. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely a meat eater if he's that big. He's getting all that protein and yeah, it sounds like he, he you were in his, his territory and he, he uh he didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't like it at all. So needless to say, that day in August I came down off the mountain or off that uh off the top of that canyon. I I took a different route back to the truck. <laughs> I, I didn't bet. want to I didn't want to see him again. So uh, I bet. So but, that was, yeah, was this the same yeah, camera that, uh, so like you just had this encounter with this bull, it was that same camera or one in that area? Yes. Yeah. Same camera right there. And the encounter with that bull was, you know, we made the call from 20 yards from where that camera was hanging on a tree when that bull came in. So, wow. you know, that bull walked out of our lives forever. The next day we hunted up on top, you know, we pulled the cameras, looked at the SD cards. There wasn't any activity whatsoever on those cameras since September the 6th. So my buddy wanted to stay there. I told JP, Hey, I'm going back to truck camp. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I know there's some elk over there. They were kind of quiet, doing the lazy bugle, but I'm going to try to get back into them, so um, I'll talk to you later. And we parted ways. He stayed, and I left and went back to truck camp at that point. Okay. So so now we're in probably day seven or eight. So I went back into some of the same areas, and, and bulls were bugling a little bit more now. Um, when I got back and hiked in there three miles to where I've been hearing those bedded bulls bugle from their beds, the the lazy bugles, now they were actually bugling and moving around, and it was impossible to keep up with them. I, I was trying to move, call and move toward them. Every time I'd call, these bulls would bugle back at me, and we all know how that is. Trying to keep up with them when they got cows and they're moving is next to impossible. Yeah, and yeah. that's what I was—that's what I was faced with at this point. I just couldn't keep up with them. Yeah, I feel like sometimes you know you call into them and and those bulls they will, they will just keep pushing away. You know, from they'll push their cows away from the bugle just to just to keep you know distance for sure. Yeah, and the, and the cow calls—they were moving away from my cow calls too. You know, I was trying to be non-threatening because. I know when bulls have cows, um, I want to, I want to, I don't want to pose a threat from 300 yards away. It doesn't work. Uh, the only time posing a threat with a bugle works or has ever worked for me is when I've been with under a hundred yards, preferably under 75 or 50 yards before I bugle at them in that situation. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. So, 
So I try to keep them talking with a cow call and then try to move towards them. And sometimes, sometimes you can get in on them like that. And the, they're not likely to leave their cows, but you know, if they're, if they're already moving, they're going somewhere with a purpose, you know, they'll bugle back at you. They're telling you, come on, I'm over here. Let's go, you know, but I'm not coming to you. I've got 15 cows. Why would I come to you? Basically, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 But, like you said, uh, when, when they are on the move, elk are almost damn near impossible. Mm-hmm. Even if they're just walking they're they're really tough to catch up to. Oh yeah. I mean, and that terrain too. I mean, it's not like we were talking earlier. It's nowhere as steep as Colorado or anything like that, but it's still tough terrain. It's a lot tougher than people think when they look at the maps, that's for sure. And you, 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 it's hard on your feet, all the rock. It's very hard on your feet. So you got to have some good boots, stiff soles. Yeah. Makes sense. So, yeah. So did that for a few days, uh, couldn't get close enough to challenge a bull and couldn't get close enough to even see a bull. I, I heard him, but wasn't seeing them, which is, it was still better than it was previously. Cause at least they were talking now and bulls were bugling back and forth to each other. So, you know, the, the rut's starting to get pretty heated up at that point. Nice. Nice. So this is, you're getting down to the last, couple days right yeah it's only a 10 day long hunt or something like that the season's only open yeah. for that tag i mean it, you you got to be thinking in your mind is this going to happen uh at some point right yeah i mean the later it gets the the more you start thinking about things like that you know and and whereas earlier in the hunt you know you're all gung-ho and wanting to kill a bull you start thinking about cows at this point you know yeah um so, and I'm a meat hunter anyway, for the most part, but early on in the hunt, you you have a tag like a Gila in your pocket. Trust me, you're thinking about bulls more than you're thinking <laughs> about cows. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. I bet. It's, you know, like good draw units in, in Colorado, you know, um, if, if you were to draw, like, say, for instance, a unit 61 or 76, where you hear about the big bulls. The last thing on your mind are cows. You know, you want to kill one of those big bulls. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. So you're, you're so, at, what, day eight right now, kind of in the story? Like one of the last, I mean, you're you're down to the last couple of days, right? Yeah, day eight. So day eight, um, I do this long walk. Um didn't have hardly any action whatsoever, and I decided to head back to truck camp, get cleaned up, change socks because my feet were sweating profusely, and the darn socks, the wool socks, starting to slide a little bit in my boots. So, went back, ate lunch, got cleaned up, changed socks. You know, again, another advantage of truck camp, <laughs> and. There's this one, can- this canyon right behind my camp. I've had an opportunity every time I've hunted it. I've had at least one opportunity in that canyon every time I've hunted it on a big bull. Um, and I hadn't had that opportunity yet during this hunt. And probably the biggest bull I'd had an opportunity on previously, probably 340, maybe a 350 bull in there, which is a big bull to me. You know, I've never killed anything that big. And I think it's a respectable bull anywhere, a 340 or a 350 oh, yeah. bull, you know. So, um, and it's been one of my goals 
since I started hunting elk was to kill a 350 bull, you know, so I get excited when I see those things, you know. But for one reason or another, I've I've blown those opportunities in the past and just did not close the deal at the moment of truth, you know, so everything's got to go perfect <laughs> exactly. to kill one of these big boys. So after getting cleaned up and everything, I go to my spot, which I've uh, nicknamed the crow's nest at the top of this canyon. There's a little outcropping of rocks that kind of stick out in the canyon a little bit. I can see a lot of things on the other side of the canyon, a lot of openings, and you can see elk if they're moving around over there. I can call off of that location and... You know, I, I like to do these loud cow calls that echo in that canyon, and I swear I've called elk from a mile away or more from that location on more than one occasion. Um, so that's one of my favorite spots, actually, and it's right there near truck camp, too, you know. So, um, so I get out there, and I make one loud cow call through my bugle tube. And I hear a bull bugle, and he sounded like he was a ways off. And I've heard this before, you know, so I didn't get too excited at this point. I waited 10 minutes, did another loud cow call through my bugle, call, bugle tube, and he, he answered me back again. And it was obvious he was coming because he cut the distance in half. So wow. uh, trust, yeah, trust me when I say this. I bailed off of those rocks in a heartbeat and started moving toward where I heard that bugle from. And I didn't have to make another call. He kept bugling and kept coming. And so I was able to position myself. And I think when the elk was probably 300 yards and moving toward me, the wind was at his back and in my face, which is always a good thing. I was able to smell him, and the smell was very strong. You know, it's like, oh crap, uh, he's coming, <laughs> he's getting close. You know, and wow. and I and I'm I'm looking in the direction he's coming and fumbling for an arrow out of my quiver, <laughs> and 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 not looking at my arrow because I want to see when he shows up. You know, so I'm, I'm feeling my way for it and kind of trembling a little bit. You know, I'm starting to get excited <laughs> at this point, and I got an arrow knocked. And I got my release clip, and now I see him at about 200 yards, and now the smell, and he's coming through these junipers and pinyon pines, and the smell is getting stronger as he's coming, and I can see him, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is a huge bull. <laughs> uh, I hope I get an opportunity, a shot opportunity, because there, there's a lot of trees, and he's going to have to get less than 20 yards from where I am at this point for me to get a shot just because of the shooting, different shooting lanes and the direction he's coming in from. And, you know, he'd come about 30 or 40 yards at a time. He'd stop, he'd bugle. And every time he'd do that, I'd think, Oh my God, those antlers are, they're, they're huge. The whale tails on him are just they're there. I've never seen anything like it, you know? And he'd come another 30 or 40 yards and bugle and, you know, these were not loud bugles. You'd be surprised that um, a bull like that, you'd think he'd be screaming, but these bugles, they just weren't that loud. And I'm thinking, yeah, it was crazy. You, you know, when he bugled from that long distance, it was a nice loud bugle, but as he was getting closer, the bugles got less intense. So um, it was an interesting situation there. 
Um, I don't know why that is. His bugles were getting less loud as he was getting closer. I don't know. Yeah, that's wild. But I'll have, cool. to do a little re- yeah, I'll have to do a little research on that one, too, because I've never seen that before either. So, yeah, you know, it's just something else. You learn something new every time you go into no the kidding, Elkwoods, right? you know, every encounter, every encounter you have, you know. So now he's coming. He's at 25 yards. He stops bugles and i'm thinking man he's right behind that tree i'm not going to get a shot at this bull he takes a few more steps and now he's right there in my face at 16 yards i thought i was going to kill him brought with a perfect broadside shot at that 15 yards he stops faces me 16 yards and I've got, I'm by now, when he, oh, let me back up. When he was at 25 yards behind the trees there, I drew my bow back. So he bugles. Now he comes. He stops right in front of me at 15 yards facing me. Very hard quartering shot, almost a full on frontal. But I've got that 20 yard pin right there on his chest. And I know that if I, at this angle, that, Arrow's going to go in that little softball size hole in his chest, and it's probably going to hit his offside shoulder at that angle. And at this point, I have to wonder, do I wait for a broadside shot possibly? I swear, in this exact same location last year when I drew the tag, had a similar situation where I was at full draw on a big bull, and I don't uh, uh, to this day, I think, I don't know if it was that same bull because it had long whale tails, just not quite as long. But uh, I'm thinking, okay, I got to wait for him to get broadside and I'm going to kill this bull. And he never did come broadside and he didn't see what he thought he heard and he jumped, turned, and left before I could even think about touching the shot off. So yeah, uh, that was that's still fresh in my mind from last year. So it was a no-brainer. He raised his head to start to bugle again. And when he did that, I touched off the shot, and the, the arrow disappeared. Well, half the arrow went into his chest, and there was still some arrows sticking out. And I'm pretty sure that the, the broad had stuck in that offside shoulder there at a sharp angle. And then he turned and ran into a tree and fell down. And then he got back up and took off running again. And I knew it was a devastating shot. Yeah. And, <laughs> but I didn't hear him go down, you know, so I'm, I'm standing there and I knocked another, or actually I stuck an arrow in the ground where I, where I was standing, where I took the shot from. Went over there to where he was standing when he took the arrow and ranged back to that arrow, and it was a 16-yard shot. So, and then there was no blood, no blood whatsoever, man. I was really nervous about that because I didn't hear him fall, didn't see any blood. When he felt, when he took off and ran into that tree and snapped that arrow off, there was no blood on my arrow. Oh, God. And I'm thinking, holy crap, I don't know. Did I hit him too low? Did I hit him? Did, was Is it just a brisket shot? I was I was nervous, you know. I, I was disheartened, to say the least. And so all I could do, I texted JP, my buddy, who was packed into that other area over there. And he came out right away, and I'd been, I'd started looking already. I started following tracks. All I had were his tracks. 
and I'd never had to follow an elk track on an on an elk that I had hit. There's always been some kind of blood, you know. Yeah. And I, I've I've killed quite a few cows and a, and a couple bulls previous to this, you know, and I've always had a blood trail, but not this time. I found one at about 150, maybe 200 yards. I found a chunk of meat. I sent you a, a picture of that little piece right there. Yeah. <clears throat> And that's all there was, no blood anywhere, and and you know, but I, I'd see these track, I'd see his tracks and, and the direction they're going, then I wouldn't see any tracks, so I'd stop, look around, and then I'd see more tracks, and 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 then finally got to a point where, and JP finally caught up to me, and got to a point where four eyes are better than two. And so we kept following tracks and kept following tracks and lo and behold, found the elk just before dark, uh, two and a half hours later. And what a relief. I'll tell you what, what a relief finding that elk. I bet. I bet. Uh, That's crazy. What was it like walking up to an animal that caliber? Oh, unbelievable. I, you know, I mean, I knew he was big, but I had no idea he was that big. Uh, went walking up to him and saw the actual length on, on the antlers and the spread on him. Uh, you know, I killed a pretty decent six-point bull back in 2012 in the same unit. Yeah, he's probably a 300-inch bull, maybe a little bigger. And but the first bull I killed, and I was very happy to kill him and thought he was the shiznit until I saw this thing laying on the <laughs> ground and make, it makes this, made this little 300 inch bull look small. I mean, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Uh, so I decided, you know, my house is very small. I don't want to do a mount. I think I'll do a Euro. So I went and dropped him off the taxidermist when we got back and uh, there's an old guy that owns a shop over here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, I asked him if he could score it for me. He says, well, yeah, but my guys that do all the work, they're hunting right now too. So when they get back, uh, uh, if they're not too busy, we'll score them for you and give you a call, you know. And and so didn't get a call from them. So I got rained out of work one day a couple, few weeks ago. Decided I'd just run by there and, and check in and see if they had a chance to score it. Because he had told me, you know, it's going to be about five or six months before we can get to it. And I'm thinking, really, for a Euro mount? And I just didn't have time to do the boiling and all that stuff myself because yeah. of work and my my buddy's hunts and things. And and so I'm thinking, okay, well, it's no biggie, you know. So, um, And when you see all the animals in that shop, you'd realize, yeah, he, I never knew there were so many killers in New Mexico, you know? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so stopped by the shop when I got rained out one morning, uh, and the three guys, uh, that do the work were standing out back, uh, shooting the, uh, they were bull crapping probably about some hut that they were on, you know? And <laughs> so I, Went in and uh, and I said, "Do you think you can score that? Uh, score my elk?" And they said, "Yeah, you'll have to give us your number." As you can see, we're pretty busy here with all these animals, and 
I said, yeah, you got my number on the ticket. So whenever you come across it, because everything in the taxiderma shop has a number that's associated with your receipt. And so one of the guys goes and opens up the walk-in freezer right there, and it's right there. I said, that's it, right there. You know, and so, yeah, we'll score it right now for you. And I'm thinking maybe a 330, maybe a 350 bull. I'm thinking it's probably close to a 350. And so they pull it out. The guy grabs the tape and starts pulling measurements, and he didn't even get a quarter a quarter on the first side. And he says, you know what? I've been doing this a lot of years, and it's been a very, very long time since I've seen a main beam this long and with this much mass. This wow. bull's going to go over 370. This bull's going to go over 370, he tells me. And, I, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, fuck, use my language. <laughs> that is awesome. Man, are you kidding me? He says, no, I'm, I'm serious. This is a big bull. Um, he measured the length on the main beams. One of them was 58 inches long. The other one was 58 and four eighths. Um, and he, he measured him out. Um, and he says, well, if I measure him on the thirds right here, the, the width on the thirds, this is a 377 bull. If I measure the whale tails, he's a 371 bull. Which do you prefer? (laughs) Yeah. Holy crap. I'll take either one, you know. <laughs> no so, uh, yeah. So wow. he's a big bull, very big bull, and you know, it's all the hard work over the years. You know, earlier I said, you know, the older I get, the less hard I want to work. I still work hard, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, oh, sure. I I put the work in, um, and it was just a great experience to kill something like that. My buddy JP says, you know what? That's a bull of a lifetime there, bro. You've been bow hunting elk since 2008. I've been bow hunting elk for 35 years, and I haven't even come close to a bull that size or not even a 350 bull, he tells me, you know. And it's when, when, and he's one of my mentors as well, my buddy JP. Um, he's been a mentor to me and a great friend and partner at times when we hunt together, so... For him to say something like that was a huge compliment, you know, yeah. and I don't take it lightly. I, I know how fortunate I am to have killed something like that. That's amazing. Yeah, amazing. A giant ball, just beautiful, beautiful. We'll have pictures on, on my website when I post this to, you know, to showcase the caliber of it and it's it's it like you said it's it's a once in a lifetime bull. I hope you do kill bigger, but damn, that's a that's definitely a great bull. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if uh, I don't know if a bigger one exists. Of course they do, but I mean to have an opportunity at a bull like that is just—it's a once in a lifetime bull, and I don't expect I can—I'll top that anytime soon. Uh, but you know, like I say, I've had some great opportunities the last few years at some pretty darn big bulls, though. And and like I say, thinking back to Big Ben's podcast forty-nine with you and him and. <clears throat> Some of the things that he does just rang a bell, you know, it's like, wow, you don't have to do all these things that everybody talks about on these uh, forums to to kill uh, big bulls every year. You know, I mean, one day it might be spot and stalk, another day it might be a cow call, another day it might be a bugle, 
uh, every situation is different, you know. I mean, it's it's not a one size fits all when you're hunting elk. Exactly, exactly. Before I forget, what I want to ask you about the the arrow and and really the the lack of or or no blood during the trailing. What what happened there after you recovered the bull? Were you able to see where you hit and kind of why it wasn't yeah. leaving a blood trail? The only thing I can guess is. Uh, he bled totally internally, filled up on the inside. The arrow that was still uh, stuck inside him was blocking any path out for any blood to get out. Um, I have no doubt that that bull was dead within 15 minutes. Um, but sure enough, the broadhead was stuck in that offside shoulder right there, or front leg right there. Wow. Um, so- I... I I just couldn't tell you why he didn't bleed. I've never seen that before. Yeah, that's wild. Now, was it was it a full, like, radon frontal shot, or was it kind of a quartering hard two? Or it was, it was a very hard quartering two, almost full on frontal is the way I would describe it. But he was slightly angled just a little bit, so I did not have a perfectly straight on shot. Okay, got it, got it. Uh, I did a full-on frontal on a bull in Colorado back in 2013, and that was a 30-yard frontal, perfectly straight on, and that arrow disappeared inside him, and he he kind of wobbled 10 feet and tipped over right there and rolled down the mountain and hung up in, in a pine tree. <laughs> uh, so I know how devastating of a shot that is, and I knew when I uh, touched that arrow off that there was a little bit of an angle, and that broadhead was stuck right where i thought it would be but i just never had an idea that he wouldn't bleed yeah you know? and it was very very nerve-wracking until i found him you know until we found him so yeah well that's uh that's some some persistence on on that track job just following basically tracks and not you know really having much to go off of other than that that's that's uh not an easy task by any means especially when you're worked up on that big of a caliber of bull I mean, a lot can go wrong, even just on the on the trailing there. Oh, yeah. You know, when I texted JP, uh, when he was over in the area he was at, I texted him, uh, I just stuck an arrow on a monster. I have to find him, you know. And, <laughs> and as luck would have it, you know, and like I said, four eyes are better than two anytime you're tracking. If you can get some help in a situation like that, I highly recommend it. Oh yeah, yeah, hands down, hands down. Well, that's a yeah <laughs> awesome story. So, did you get the euro back yet? Uh, no. <laughs> um, so, so check this out. So, um, after they measured it, the guy tells me, you know, that is a badass bull right there. I think I can get to him next week. So <laughs> I called back. I called back last week, and the, the guys are on another hunt. And the the old guy that owns the shop, you know, he didn't know where it was because there's so many darn animals in that shop. He didn't know where to look for it. So I said, all right, I'll I'll come back in, in a week or so. And so um, I'm probably gonna. I hope I can get it. Uh, this weekend or next week sometime and when i do i'll take a picture and and send it over to you so please do um i we did some demo there's some demo on some old parking lot over on my job site and i told my my uh dirt worker i said hey 
take that stump right there. They had to cut down some cottonwood trees. There's a nice cottonwood stump that's about oh maybe 30 inches tall, and the top of it's cut at a little bit of an angle. I said, put that thing in my truck. I'm taking that home, and that's where I'm going <laughs> to mount that urinal on is that stump right there because it's heavy enough to handle it. That's so, so cool. That's going to yeah. look badass. Yeah, I think so. It's going to look great, man, and I'll definitely get your picture. Yeah, please do. Please do. Well, David, that's a that's a hell of a story, hell of a hunt, and uh, a bull of a lifetime. And just you know, listening to you tell this story, it just felt like I was on the hunt with you almost. And you know, myself, I didn't really get the chance to to do that week long hunt like I normally do. So this has been fun just to really follow along and hear your excitement and you know. What a, what a great ending. I loved it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, thinking back to our previous conversation earlier this summer, um, I think I sent you a text message and chatted with you a little bit. And you you had mentioned doing a truck camp. And it's like, lo and behold, I, I did a truck camp. And, <laughs> you know, every, everything turned out great, you know. I mean, it, it's just been a great year. Yeah. You know, and I, I can't wait to do it again, you know. And, and I'm, I'm expecting to draw a tag in Colorado next year. I'll have six points. And hopefully I draw the tag that I'm looking for. And then after that, um, I seriously want to start hunting Montana. Uh, I've got a good friend that lives in Washington who hunts Montana every year. And he always has some pretty great hunts and has some great pictures and stories to tell. So um, I'd like to hunt up there in Montana. That's definitely on the bucket list too. Yeah, same. So same for me. I just, I need, I need, yeah, I need to do some research on how all that works because it's like you, there's like a combo hunt, I think. Yep. A deer and an elk tag, and that'd be a good one to have. And I need to do some more research yeah. in the Montana. So yeah, for sure, for sure, and and. And one of these days, David, we're gonna have to meet up in person, and I'd I'd love to have a beer with you, and and we need to maybe even go on a hunt at some point in the future. I'd love to do that with you. It'd yeah, be really cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, let's let's plan on it sometime, man. If we both neither one of us draw a tag, and there's an OTC hunt to do somewhere, let's let's plan on getting together, or at least sharing camp or let's something. Figure it out. Yeah, exactly. It'd be real fun. It'd be real fun. Yeah. Yeah, it would, most definitely. So I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I think you do a great job with your podcasts. I really enjoy them. And um, keep up the great work, man. It, it's they're, they're fun to listen to, to uh, all the different people that you have on these things and different topics. And it, it's just a great gambit of, of podcasts, man. Keep up the great work. Appreciate that, David. Appreciate that. Well, cool. Well, you have a great rest of your evening, and we'll we'll talk at you soon, all right? Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Adam, and have a great rest of the year, and I hope you get to, to do some more hunting this year uh, and look forward to more of your stories as well. All right, appreciate it. Thanks, David. All right, and there it is, another episode down Thanks again to David for coming on the show. Great talking with you. Had lots of laughs and, and a hell of a story. And congrats again on that amazing, uh, really once-in-a-lifetime bull. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that as well. That was that was really fun, uh, like I alluded to earlier. Haven't had a, a, a ton of time to spend in the woods this year, so getting to hear stories like that and really 
getting to getting uh, a chance to really relive a hunt like that and and hear him and tell that story it's it's pretty pretty darn cool um i hope uh you guys are getting the chance to get out and do some hunting yourself for me as a michigander whitetail hunter at heart coming from my roots late october hits early november hits i'm Whatever it is, um, you know, I li- I've lived in Colorado for four years, but the whitetail gene has has yet to leave my bloodstream. And uh, this time of year, I can't help but thinking uh, back to the the, the whitetail rut, especially in my home state of Michigan and and you know other states I've hunted in the past, in Iowa and Kansas and Oklahoma and uh, eastern Colorado even, and it's just. A lot of fun, and um, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to do that this year. But um, you know, this time of year for anybody who's out whitetail hunting, I hats off to you, and and hope you have some success. And for everybody still big game hunting here in the mountains, definitely, definitely uh, keep me posted. I love to hear from people. I love to hear the messages. I, I, I love to get emails, uh, all that stuff. So definitely keep the pictures coming and and appreciate the support from everybody who's tuned in so far so um i won't i won't bore you any longer big thanks to our partners our sponsors expedition archery skull beer coffee and outdoor edge nice that's all for now thanks again for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon